Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson. Uh, this is episode number 145 of the podcast, which is just amazing to me. 145 episodes, and to celebrate the uh, 145th episode, this landmark occasion, we've got Jason Linden with us. How are you today, Jason? I'm I'm fabulous and pleased to be part of such a landmark episode as number 145. Oh, it's the only episode number 145 that will ever be recorded. So I know it's very special. Yeah, so you better uh, you better do well because this is it. It's the only chance you've got. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> you know who else is doing their best? The Cincinnati Reds. How about that for a segue? Uh, since the All-Star break, the Reds are, uh, I think, still have the second-best record, certainly the second-best record in the National League, I'm, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Still playing still playing good baseball and uh, and been a lot of fun to watch, a lot more fun than they were at times during that first half. Uh, how much fun are you having right now? I'm having an enormous amount of fun. I look forward to baseball now, which I cannot claim to have been the case in, like, May. Even though this is a last-place team, it's possible to enjoy watching them play? It is. Surprisingly, and I mean, I haven't been super down on the Reds all year. We've talked about that, how it's like, we knew they were going to stink, so might as well have fun with it. But (laughs) lately, it's like, you know they're not going to make the playoffs, so there's no pressure at all, but they're still winning, so that's fun. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I've had fun too because, it, you're, like you said, this is really the first year that even the Reds admitted we're not going to compete. You know, we're looking towards this rebuild, and and it was not fun at times, certainly in the first half. But now there's nothing to lose, and and yeah, they are still in last place. I don't think that's uh, they they briefly climbed out of uh, being in last place on their own and tied the uh, the Brewers for uh, for fourth place. And I think the Reds will eventually get out of last place. And but you know, who cares? I mean, uh, a lot of things right now to be excited about with this team. Even if you're looking for reasons to be uh, skeptical, which a lot of people are, certainly on Twitter and in the comments section at, at Red Leg Nation. Uh, but I'm sort of like you. I, I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful as well, and we've seen a lot of those things the second half. Uh, one of those is my guy, who we're not going to talk about tonight, but I have to. he has to be the first Red that we mentioned, my guy Billy Hamilton, continuing to play very well. Um, he is indeed. And there's another guy for the Reds that's playing pretty well. Have you noticed this other guy? plays uh, plays one of the corner infield spots. Uh, yeah, you know, Suarez is doing all right. He's playing, wait a minute, what? Hold on. Uh, Suarez <laughs> is playing very well. Uh, I set that up and you hit it right out of the park. Um, what about the other guy that plays a corner infield spot? Oh, that Votto guy? He's okay. <laughs> He's all right. He's all right. Uh, you know, the last time I checked, and this has been a, a, a couple of days now, but he was hitting, uh, oh, I've got it here, 455, something like that, uh, 552 on base percentage in the second half. Uh, that, it's almost wrong. <laughs> it's, it shouldn't even be possible, uh, you know. Over that over that number of games, what we're what we're talking about now, you know, well, they have forty five games now or something since the All Star break. So, uh, man, I just and he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. He keeps doing it, and he's been almost a copy of what he was last year in the second half. Isn't that funny? Which really we all is, thought, yeah. well, this will never happen again, and here we are. <laughs> I think we did have the conversation. It may have been me and you. Uh, we're seeing some, last year, you know, in the second half, we're seeing something we're never going to see again, you know. And well, he, here we are again, and it may maybe even better actually in the second half this year, if you can believe it. Uh, I, and I, and I'm, I, you have made the point before, and I made the point uh, in print uh, in, a, in a piece I did last week. But I think that Joey Votto is uh, number one underrated by most people inside Cincinnati, certainly. Number two, I think he's underpaid, and that's a very uh, controversial thing to say around Cincinnati these days, but uh, what are your thoughts about those? I 
I completely agree. And there's been a lot of like Twitter chatter around his pay lately. Um, so much so that, that today I was like, okay, I want to I want to go look at this. So the contract's like two hundred and twenty five million, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, two hundred and twenty five million. So Fangraphs does this thing where they can, you know, they basically average out how much does one win above replacement cost on the free agent market, right? Right. Well, since since Votto signed his contract, that that number right now is about seven or eight million. Is how much a win costs on the free agent market since Votto extension started in 2014 he was hurt for most of 2014 but even still 2014 15 and 16 together he has been worth uh let's see about 92 or 3 million dollars in terms of value on the open market that's a lot it's a lot (laughs) it's getting close to half of his contract and he still has a ways to go yeah uh you know um this has been a topic of conversation lately, and it couldn't be a better time for me personally because, uh, you know, I have a piece in the latest uh, Cincinnati magazine, the print magazine. Everyone go buy it. And, and that was the topic of it. Is, is Joey Votto worth the contract they gave him? And I, and I went into some of the same uh, mathematics that you're going into now and uh, came out saying, yeah, by the end of this contract, the Reds are very likely to be to be extremely happy with the way this contract has turned out. And and a lot of that's because he's been so over uh, undervalued to this point in the contract. He's so underpaid for what, if they had to spend the money on the open market, on the open free agent market to get the value that Joey Votto brings to this team, they couldn't do it for what they're paying him. No, it's just impossible. So, I mean, you know, and people get really worked up about, they, they see the numbers in the future or whatever. And, I think what happens is that people see sort of that he's going to be making $25 million in, in 2023, and then they remember the players who made $25 million in, like, 2002. Right. <laughs> and yes. they don't, like, they don't realize that, one, it's not 2002 anymore, and in 2023 it won't be 2016. Like, there's inflation in baseball. By 2023, I mean, I would guess if he's slightly above league average, I don't expect him to be, frankly. I don't no. I don't think you expect any player who signs one of these contracts to be actually earning their salary at the end. The point is that they build up surplus value at the front and it balances out. But I don't think he's ever going to be grossly overpaid. Oh, I don't I don't either. And and people do you you see that number and I think it's 20 million this year. I think this is the first year bumped up to 20 million uh, mm-hmm. that he's making. Last year he was at 14 million. Um and you look at that number though, twenty million, and then you see it's going to bump up eventually to twenty five, and you think, oh gosh, you know, like you said, you know, that's and of course it's crazy. I mean, I know I make almost twenty five million a year. I don't, I'm not sure what you make, but for most people, that's less than what they make in their uh, their day jobs. Um, you know, you're really not like you said. You're really not looking at it uh, in the right way. First of all, I wish I had my numbers right in front of me because I did write about this. He's only like the eighth highest paid first baseman right now anyway in the game. And Is how, he really? Yes. Yes. Can you believe that? I and, can. That's amazing. I'm pretty sure it's eighth. And, uh, and and think about as he gets closer to the end of this contract, we talk about the value of a, of a win above replacement on the open market. And we're getting a little bit deep into the weeds, more than we do usually on the podcast. But um, it's not that deep into it. And frankly, I think it's important. You talk about the value being between, I think it's 7.7, something like that was the most recent $7.7 million yeah. per, per point of, uh, of war. And what's it going to be, you know, in seven years, what's it going to be in, in six years? How much is it? Are people going to be paying? Uh, he may still be overvalued at that time, but it's gonna be a whole lot closer than people realize because of that inflation you talked about. I, I think the reds, I, 
yeah, I mean, he could get hurt tomorrow, and let you know, heaven forbid that happens, uh, or he could fall off a cliff tomorrow. I think he's established now that he's just a special player, and that's not going to happen if he's healthy. But if he is able to perform and age in uh, just a natural way for the rest of his contract, I think he's almost guaranteed to be worth every dime and more uh, of that contract. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it could be the kind of thing. Well, and you know, I, I, I I'm certainly at this point like blah blah reds hall of famer and all of that stuff i'm not a fan of brandon phillips still playing every day but he has totally earned his contract as much as people complain about that contract he earned it already like in terms of free market value right um that doesn't end up being a bad contract and i don't think joey Votto's is going to be easy either i wouldn't be surprised if by the end of 2019 he had basically covered the value of his contract well sign it and i'm glad you mentioned brandon phillips because that's an excellent point uh you know, when Brandon Phillips signed that contract, and, I, and I'm still kind of like, oh, why would you sign someone through their age 36 season as a, as a middle infielder? That's that's questionable just going that long. But right after he signed that contract, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. What? Are, and then you wrote a piece that I remember at Red Leg Nation where you sort of went through these uh, calculations and said, you know, uh, he might be able to earn this. And I think as it's turned out, he, he did earn it. Um, and, yeah, uh, he did. And, it, you know, I mean – I think people, anybody who follows me on Twitter, Red Leg Nation, like I'm not a member of the Brandon Phillips Booster Club, but he earned his money. Yeah, none really. I'm not either, although I've gained a little bit more of an appreciation, as I've said, for him uh, over the years. Uh, I'm probably ready to be done with uh, with him. And oh, that sounds awful. I don't mean it like that because he has been a Reds Hall of Famer. But uh, you know, to say that that crazy contract that went through age 36, that really was probably more than the Reds should have shelled out for him to say that he probably earned it. That's, that's saying something. And, uh, I think absolutely. If you look at the, uh, the value of a, of a win on the open market. Yeah. I mean, the Reds couldn't go out and, and, uh, and get the production he was able to provide. Now he's certainly overpaid now for what he's providing, Yeah, but you, in order to make the case that he didn't deserve that contract, you got to ignore the fact that he overperformed. Uh, his value mm-hmm. on the field was more than what he was being paid earlier. And same with Votto. Yeah. So, so Votto good. Votto very good. So, <laughs> so beautifully good. And, you know, I, I've never really wanted to talk about it much because there's so much that can go wrong over the next, you know, seven years or whatever. But, uh, or ten years that Votto's going to be around, but like injuries. But, man, he's really hitting all the, checking all the boxes and hitting all the markers for a guy that looks like a, a uh, future Hall of Famer, if he can, if, if he can stay healthy, if he can stay healthy, I mean he's on track right now. This is something I've been watching for several years, just because it came up when I was writing an an old column, an old weekly column on on the Hardball Times several years ago, um, and I started noticing it. But this year, if he leads the league in on base percentage, it'll be the fifth time he's done it, and every player who's ever done that before is in is in the Hall of Fame. Well, that or is Barry. Right. <laughs> right, yeah, or deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think uh, you'd yeah. probably agree with that. Um, yeah, you know, his uh, on-base percentage last year, 459, was the third highest uh, in Reds history. Uh, only mm-hmm. two only two better, and one of those was his from 2012 when he had a 474. That's, that's insane, a 474 on-base percentage. Uh, Joe Morgan's 1975 was better. His on-base percentage this year, even with that awful first half he had, his on-base percentage right now, would be ranked in the top ten in the history of, of individual season seasons. He's got what, single season. four of the top ten, five yeah. of the top ten, something like that. I think it's five if you include this year uh, in there. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> I noted it noted earlier uh, earlier in the week that he just passed Tony Perez on the uh, career wins above replacement list for Reds first baseman. Just just judging as first baseman. Um, yeah. Uh, and so so that's all time. That's every first baseman that has ever played for the Reds. Uh, and he's playing as well the last two seasons, when you can put his two last two seasons combined, as he ever has in his career. So, yeah, he's going to slow down. He's not immune to aging. But, man, uh, it looks like he's got a long way to go before he really declines to a point where he's hurting this team. And I think he can really be a valuable contributor to this team, um, maybe the Scott Rowland veteran on the next good Reds team. Well, yeah, I was going to say that one of the things I think that gets um, overlooked a lot with Votto is that I think because he's kind of a, a quiet guy or whatever, but it's how much he seems to add to the other other players. I mean, Billy Hamilton has been giving a lot of credit to Joey Votto. Every, every time he talks in an interview, he mentions Joey Votto. And if Joey Votto can turn Billy Hamilton into what Billy Hamilton is now, well, I mean, you know, tack another couple million dollars of value onto Joey Votto's contract. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. And, and, and actually tack a couple of years and let him stick around as hitting coach. Oh, man. <laughs> if he would do it. Yeah, really. Uh, um, but yeah, he seems to really have kind of grown into that role of sort of veteran presence, I guess, where he where, where guys kind of seek him out and, and, and will listen to him. And that's that's excellent. Well, and that goes to something that I'm actually working on. I haven't written it yet, but I'm working on a piece for Red Leg Nation um, that's basically going to say it's time to name Joey Votto captain of the Reds to put that C on his jersey. Oh. You know, it's, oh, it's, long, it's long past time. Actually, as I was doing research for it, I saw that I would tweeted that out two years ago. But um, I think it's time to do that and let him be the official sort of leader of this rebuild, if, if that makes sense. I could see it. I wonder though if he would even want it. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. But then again, if you know, if you say we're going to make you captain, last captain Barry Larkin, the last one before that, I think was uh, uh, Davy Concepcion. Before that, I'm not sure who it was to actually have the C on their on their uniform. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. uh, I, it's something special, I think. And um, he's committed himself to this organization. He might be interested in it, but you're right, he might not. Um, oh man, I'm, I'm looking at his numbers. Jason, he's he's good at baseball. He's so good at baseball. <laughs> he can hit. One, one of the things that jumps out at me that that I like to look at is um, people ahead of him on the Reds' career and wins above replacement. The only one, and I mean there aren't that many ahead of him, but the only one ahead of him who has played fewer games for the Reds than he has is Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan was okay. Joe Morgan was all right. Um, you know, you've got um, depending on the list you use. I think, and I think Baseball Reference has Pinson ahead of him in sixth place, and Fangraph still has him behind Tony Perez. Um, but you know, Pinson's got Votto's got just over twelve hundred games. Pinson had fifteen sixty five, Perez nineteen forty eight, Robinson fifteen oh two. Then Larkin, Bench, and Rose are all well north of two thousand games. Rose is twenty seven hundred. So. Votto hasn't even played half as many games as Pete Rose has, and he's already, you know, in the top seven all-time on the team and, and wins above replacement. 
Right, which makes me think he's on the he's certainly on the path to, for immortality. Joe Morgan, you talk about the only one that has accumulated more in a shorter amount of time or shorter span of games. Joe Morgan is an inner circle Hall of Famer. He's a, maybe the best second baseman ever. So when you're in that neighborhood, and I'm not saying Joey Votto is an inner circle Hall of Famer uh, by any stretch, but uh, you're starting to enter into some pretty heady company there. Yeah. Though I, with, I mean, I, you know, we we had scheduled a Joey Votto love fest, so I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> let it go here. But one of the things I, I like, as good a career as he has had, I still like to play the what if game with Joey Votto's career because I feel like he could easily have come up a year earlier. Oh, like without question, in 2007, you know. So give him maybe it's his. It would be his rookie year. So I'll give him maybe three wins there. There was there was 2012, which we will never any of us ever forget, right. where he got hurt. Tack on another couple wins. There was 2014, where 2000 or I said 2011, I meant 2012. There was 2014, where 2012 came back to haunt him. Right. So add on another f- normal five Joey Votto wins. That's ten more wins, basically to injury slash bringing him up late. And then he's at 55 wins, and he's 32. And we are talking about inner circle Hall of Famer at that but, point. Yeah. Then you're then you're on, you're in Joe Morgan territory. Then. Right. I mean, people really like you said. He's he is still underrated. People do not understand how special he is, and how fabulous of a baseball player he is. And that's the point I, I really tried to make is that people watch every single at bat because it, there is a very very good chance you will never see another hitter in a Reds uniform during your lifetime that can that can do the things that Joey Votto is doing. And it sounds crazy to say that, but it's it's true. Nobody has done it before in a lot of uh, instances. You know, you look at uh, OPS as a crude measure uh, because it you know doesn't talk about uh, era or park or league effects. But he has the first, uh, uh, the highest OPS in Reds history, ahead of uh, a guy named Frank Robinson who was okay. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you do look at OPS plus, which is uh, you know is adjusted, he has the highest career OPS plus. He's uh, first in Reds history all time and on base percentage. I mean. You know, and he's eighth on the club's all-time home run list at age 32. Uh, and we don't even think of him as a home run hitter. Here's a fun one for you. I like fun ones. This is a fun one. Okay. So um, you, you mentioned earlier that Votto was the eighth highest paid first baseman right now. Yes. Okay. So here is a question for you. Pop quiz. How many first basemen currently have an OPS for this season that is higher than Joey Votto's career OPS? Uh, is Goldschmidt one of them? No. I don't even know what kind of a year Goldschmidt's having, actually, now that I think about it. Um, two is my guess. The answer is none. Zero. I was afraid that was the answer, but I didn't yeah. want to say that. Anthony Rizzo has a 956 OPS, which is also Joey Votto's career OPS. <laughs> and Votto is second among first basemen with a 951 OPS. Is that right? He's second just in the National League or, or overall? In all of baseball. Gosh, and he took the first two months off. Yeah. And, I mean, frankly, you know, he and Rizzo, depending on, like, tonight, could flip. Um, think if if Votto had just been normal under uh, below average in the first two months of the season, you know, if he had just been in a normal slump rather than the, by far the worst slump of his career, uh, he's the best first baseman in baseball right now. Yes, he is. It's not, it was, it isn't for the record by far the worst slump of his career. That's people misunderstand that. 
Is it? Is it? Was it really not? No, it's really not. Let me let me pull the numbers up real quick. But he had his rookie year. He had a really bad slump. Um, and then there was one other year. It'll take a minute for me to pull it up on Fangraph so I can see it. Um, but there was one other year where he really, really tanked. You know, you um, mentioned while you're looking that up, you mentioned his rookie year. And there's something I wanted to say a moment ago when you mentioned that, uh, which is that I don't remember, and I'm sure I didn't write anything about it. If I did, I don't remember writing it. Someone can go to RedLegNation.com and look it up and, and, and prove me wrong here. But I don't remember being particularly upset that Votto hadn't been called up to the majors. I remember being upset about Todd Frazier being called up a year late or at least six months late. And uh, I remember a few others, but I don't remember being upset about Votto. I, yeah, I, I, he was always a nice prospect. And the long, the further, the more you watched of him in the minor leagues, the more impressed you got. But uh, I didn't see this coming and I'm never wrong about anything. I'm never wrong about anything either. And I also did not see that coming. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really, it really did come out uh, pretty much out of nowhere. It like, did. And, and, you know, Joey Votto was supposed to be, you know, adequate. Good, yeah. Second round pick and, you yeah. know. Like, probably like a lot of us thought of Todd Frazier. Like, yeah, he should be, you know, a really solid guy for several years. Um, what we didn't know is how seriously he took his craft and, and how much he studies uh, the, the, the art of hitting and how seriously he takes it, which is, uh, and, and all these guys take it seriously. They're professionals, but man, nobody takes it, uh, really sort of understands it and has sought to gain understanding of his swing and, and what makes a good hitter than, than Votto. Not, we, could, we could not have known that back then. Okay, so I've got these numbers up now, okay? Let's hear it. Um, and uh, no, these, these are, this is from Fangraphs, and this is measured by W Runs Created Plus, which you can just think of as like how far above or below average he is, which is 100 is, is average. All right. So the slump this year, and I'm doing a 30-game rolling average. So the worst his 30-game rolling average got at any point this year was down to a W1 runs created plus of 64. So he was 36% below average. Last year, he actually got down to 71 at one point when he had his slump last year. And that's, again, the rolling average. Not that his, his season numbers wouldn't have been like that. But then in 2008, his rookie year, um, on July 29th, he had a 30-game rolling average of 57. So that was worse than this year. Okay, but uh, so I mean, it is nearly the worst slump of his career. But it's he has, and then he has a couple of other kind of lesser slumps. He's had really like five real good slumps in his career, and otherwise he's been pretty pretty much outstanding. But he has slumped before. Well, sure, sure, he slumped before. But now I'm trying to pull it up and look at his. Uh, you know, we were talking about how many games at the end of May. That's 52 games. You know, I can't imagine he's had 52 games. Uh, as okay, fine. Make me look it up. Watch me do it. Yeah, let's do it. You you can't let's, prove me wrong. Fifty two. Let's see. Fifty two games. It'll take it a second to adjust the program. Everybody's <laughs> eagerly waiting while this is gr- this is great radio right here. Great radio. <laughs> but I mean, you know, on on May thirty first, after fifty two games, he was hitting two thirty. Still had an on base percentage of three thirty. Two thirteen, wasn't it? That's two thirteen. I'm sorry, two thirteen. I was looking at on base percentage three thirty, which is uh, you know awful for him. But man, if Billy Hamilton could just bump his up to 330. He'd be an MVP. Say the amazing thing about that is that it's uh, <laughs> um, still above league average. <laughs> no, isn't that crazy? At his absolute worst, the, the, the deepest valley of his career, maybe. Okay, so 52 games. This is still only the second worst slump. Oh, of really? Yeah, it's still his rookie year. Yeah. His rookie year, he was still, and it's still that July 28th game. 
Well, um, well, he's a rookie. I mean, you know, as Cody Reeves yeah. told us, rookies are, you know, they, they struggle sometimes. Wow. That's fun. Okay. So those two slumps are the only time that he's ever been below average for that long. Wow. Well, that doesn't surprise me too much, but still. It's, no, it doesn't surprise me either, but it's like that's. Yeah, you won't find anyone else that. Uh, Joey Votto, good at baseball. Oh, he's good at baseball. Uh, I guess we have to stop talking about him at some point, but I really don't want to. He's, you know, he's just, we could spend every week talking about how amazing Joey Votto is. And, and, and part of that is the same reason that uh, I used to always publicly uh, and still go a little bit over the top on Adam Dunn as I felt like people, yeah, he had lots of flaws. And I'm not comparing Adam Dunn to, to Joey Votto by any stretch. But, uh, you know, people didn't really realize that what he did well, he did really well. And, and that's the way I feel about uh, Joey Votto. People don't really realize that what, the things that he's doing well are things that we've really never seen, uh, certainly in our lifetimes. Uh, you and I can barely remember the big, big – actually, I don't remember the Big Red Machine. I don't remember the Big yeah. Red Machine. Uh, I, some of them were still in the league when I really started watching baseball, but they're, you know, the Reds were awful when I started watching. Um, but, uh, you know, so are we ever going to see it again? No. 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 No, we're not. Not on the Reds. No. Not unless we're really, really, really lucky. Uh, Nick Sinzel. Nick Sinzel is the next one. (laughs) Hey, bring it it up. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to have old Votto and new Votto in the same one? (laughs) (laughs) Right, same infill. And and before we move on, I do have to mention Adam Dunn, fourth in Reds history, fourth all-time in on-base percentage ahead of the immortal Pete Rose. Adam Dunn was also good at baseball. Adam Dunn was good at hitting. Also, everybody know, uh, Chad just said that Adam Dunn was better than Pete Rose. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. You can, gonna... you can, you can contact him through Red Leg Nation. Please yeah. send him all of your thoughts and email. Oh, all kinds of angry no spell emails check coming. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, Adam Dunn third at uh, 380 on base percentage. Pete Rose 379. Uh, uh, Joey Votto first. Joe Morgan second, obviously. Frank Robinson, a distant third. Uh, 389. So impressive. Well, uh, any other thoughts about Votto before we move on? I mean, I know we could spend the rest of the time here talking about him, but uh, I was just going to say for fun, here are his numbers since, since June 1st. Let's hear them. 380 batting average, 502 on base percentage, 603 slugging percentage. That'll do. And we're going on three months. I mean, we're not talking about a, a hot two weeks. plate appearances. Yeah. Half yeah. a season. I mean, you it's, know, it's half a season. <laughs> Golly, he's, he's, it's almost like he's a good hitter. Almost. Uh, and I'm thinking now about that. You see the meme sometimes where they uh, post from the episode of The Simpsons. Stop! He's already dead. We're, we're sort of beating this one, uh, beating this one into the ground. But it's because people don't understand. Our listeners understand because we have the uh, most intelligent uh, group of listeners anywhere. But, but you need to tell your friends because a lot of people don't understand. Joey Votto is historically good you, in terms, certainly in terms of this organization. Yes, yes. All right, let's let's move on to topic number two, which is someone this week made a bold statement. And I'm just going to read to you what this statement is. Topic number two, the 2016 Reds look a lot like the 2009 Reds, and that's a good thing. Now, what kind of a crazy statement is that? That's the kind of crazy statement I make. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. You're crazy. I am crazy. <laughs> well, explain what you mean by that, if you can, just uh, sort of briefly. Um, well, basically what I noticed, I, you know, I, 
I, when I was looking for reasons to be optimistic, this goes all the way back to the beginning of this season because I knew it was going to be a bad season. Can, can I pause you there just for a second? I'm sorry, but I, I need to point out something. I'm, I get a little bit of heat sometimes, uh, and you might as well. You said, when I'm looking for reasons to be optimistic, and can, can I just do a little aside here and say, that's exactly what I do. I look for reasons to be optimistic because this is baseball. This is not life or death. We love the Reds. We want them to do well. But isn't it much better for your mental health to try to be optimistic uh, with this team other than what we see most of the time on Twitter, for example? Oh, God, yes. I mean, you know, life will kick you in the pants often enough. Baseball should be fun. It's got to be a diversion. All right, okay. I just had to say that because I can't. it can't be said enough. Uh, there, why not? Uh, so, Right, yes. the 2016 so I, I was, Reds. Yeah, I was I was looking for reasons to be optimistic because I knew it was going to be bad this year, and I was like, you know, okay. So the last time the you know the Reds started being good in 2010, and 2009 was pretty mediocre. I can't even remember. I think their final record was like 78 and 84, 77 and 85, something like that. Like you know, one of those like not quite decent teams. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't a very good team, but they were really good the next year. What happened? And I looked at it, and they closed really well. And that was when the Scott Rowland trade happened. You know, that was when, you know, some other guys kind of, Drew Stubbs finally got, like, playing time over, I think it was Willie Tavares. Um, You know, so there were these kind of changes. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And this was supposed to be the year that, you know, a bunch of guys came up. So I was like, I'll keep an eye on it. And then, you know, after the break, boy, they've been playing a lot better. And I was like, well, you know, hey, maybe. This is kind of doing what I was hoping it would do. Um, so maybe they'll maybe they'll keep up with it. And and so I made the comparison and wrote about that for, uh, for Cincinnati Magazine. And it's amazing. You know, that year, 2009, they won 27 of their last 40, which is, you know, Reds aren't necessarily playing at that pace, but uh, are, are winning more yeah. down the stretch. I mean, the, the point I really wanted to make, I think, is that with a team like the Reds, where they're never going to make a huge splash on the free agent market, like beginning and end of season are really kind of arbitrary endpoints. Um, because they're a team that's really going to be, especially in a rebuilding time, they're going to be in sort of a constant shuffle and a constant constant change. So like a trade will happen or a guy will finally get called up or whatever. And all of these things will happen really in a way that has nothing to do with, oh, it's the off season, so this happens now so much as it's time for this to happen, so it happens. Um, and so whenever that happens, you look at the team and you say, well, how are they performing with this group of players versus how were they performing with this different group of players? And I don't, you know, I, I think you, I mean, obviously when they're competing, you care about the season standings, but when they're not competing, I just kind of look at like, what's this group of players doing? And the comparison was interesting to me because I had always hoped I guess, again, looking for reasons to be optimistic, I had always hoped that next year would be sort of the 2009, uh, you know, year in this winning red cycle. If they were able to be competitive like they say they hope they hope they can be competitive in 2018. I thought 2017, sometime that year, so a lot of the young guys, Winker will be up and, and uh, Peraza and, and, and uh, Dilson Herrera now maybe and, you know, uh, Suarez will turn 26 uh, next year, late next year, I think. I think if I've got that right. And so I thought, you know, next year, at the end of the year, uh, that's when we'll start seeing real progress. And maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves on this year, but there are a lot of reasons to think, hey, you know, um, 
maybe that's happening a little bit ahead of schedule. And 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 maybe it's it's certainly not going to be exactly like it was 2010. And and you're you certainly weren't predicting that the Reds are going to uh, win the division next year like they no, did in 2010. No, because no. uh, uh, no matter how well they do next year, we have the bad fortune. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the the bad fortune to be in the same division as the Cubs. But uh, still. It's never going to stop sounding wrong. <laughs> it's awful. I can't believe it. And they, the worst part about it is they got some young players that are hard to dislike. Um, yeah. So, but what if they can uh, 500, a little higher than 500? I think that's a huge, huge, huge season if the Reds can can do that next year. Uh, and it, it would mean the sky's the limit for the following year. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think this year has been, and we've talked about this before, and I've written about it more times than I care to remember, but like the, the, the pitching has really turned over this year, and I think that's where you're really seeing the improvement. Um, and I'll be really interested to see what the Reds allow to happen with the lineup. If they do kind of just, just say, let's go ahead and, and you know, bring the kids and, and all of that stuff and, and um, set up our lineup of the future and see what it does. Then it could maybe, if those guys are really ready and they don't have too much of an adjustment period, it could really it could really come together i think more quickly than than people think i'm not counting it that, on that at all but it's it's entered that realm of possibility thing where it's like i'm like you know there's maybe like a 15 or 20 percent chance the reds could actually be good next year um what do you mean by good though wild card competition maybe wow um yeah, I mean, I can I can see if everything goes well, they could be on the fringes of that wild yeah. card. Yeah, if things race. go well, I could see them at like yeah. eighty four, eighty five wins, which will get you a wild card every now and again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's that's crazy to think of, considering that earlier this year they were on the pace for for uh, over a hundred losses. I guess my question for the Reds, and uh, and maybe we can ask some members of the Reds uh, baseball operations staff when we meet with them here next week. We we need to talk about that before we finish, but. My question is, what's the harm next year in going full-on rebuild? Peraza, Herrera, Winker, you know, Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson, if if Delano DeShields doesn't choke him first uh, in AAA. What's the, what's the harm in bringing all those guys up and let's just go full-on rebuild all season long and see what happens? I think if you do that, I think there's a very good chance that by the end of the year, this is a this is a fun team to watch. Uh, well, I think from the beginning of the year they'd be fun to watch, but I think by the end of the year, a sort of a fearsome team in in the sense that uh, they can start to put it together. Yeah, I think they could potentially be the kind of team that people don't necessarily want to play, um, which would be which would be nice. I think in terms of going all in, um, I think it's it's interesting to just think about when different guys are ready. Um, you know, I, I've I've had the fortune to have that press pass to bats games this year, and and uh, Shields told us right before Cody Reed got up, he's like, I know everybody thinks he's ready, but I don't think he's ready mentally. He might have been right. Well, yeah, I know. It's like, well, you know, some, he he often he catches, I think, some flack because of sort of strategical managerial decisions and stuff like that. But uh, when I've talked to him, he see, he seems to very much be. Do, he seems to do a good job of being in the heads of his players, which is, I think, something you very much want in a minor league manager. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting how much he will say, watch this guy or watch that guy, and and you'll hear things from him, and then sure enough, those things will kind of, kind of play out. Well, let me ask you just, again, I'm going to digress for just a moment. I want to ask you about Delano DeShields. And for those of you, those of you that don't really follow the uh, – 
the Reds minor leagues that close. He's the manager at AAA Louisville. And um, my question about the line of the Shields is this. Why has, uh, for huge portions of the season, why has he been batting Jesse Winker seventh? Do you have do you have any explanation for that? I, I don't think it's been for huge portions of the season. I well, think you're Winker right. has hit seven at times. I have no idea. I mean, he the Shields really likes to put guys in different roles, and I think you know if I were to say this, I'm extrapolating here, but it, you know I noticed at one point all of a sudden Jesse Winker was who's always been a left fielder was playing in right field every day. And I was like, I wonder if something's brewing with Jay Bruce. And that's they, they're like, you know, you need to get him practice in right field. And I asked him about it after the game, and he's like, No, that was my decision. Um, I just want to make sure that he's ready for whatever situation he might face. And it seems like Duvall is kind of settling in and left. So if he gets called up to play right, let's make sure he's got experience there. So you know, he may be kind of of the opinion that, and again, I'm extrapolating. I haven't asked him about this. That let's make sure that guys are comfortable hitting wherever they're asked to hit, um, and it's I can see that I could see that you might call a rookie up and not necessarily have him batting second right away. You might let him hang out seventh or eighth for a while until he gets comfortable um, and kind of take the pressure off. I think that you know I'm a big fan of sabermetrics, but but there is the psychology of the players, and it's. It's a lot of pressure to be to be told, okay, you're batting second today, or you're batting third today, versus you're batting eighth. Um, and you know, I can see that, and I don't know that that's his rationale. Um, mostly, Winker has batted kind of third, fourth, or fifth, which is kind of the appropriate spot for him to bat in the bats lineup, frankly. Um, it, but but yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be my my guess. Well, I think that if you're trying to be charitable to the Landry Shields, that would that would make sense. Uh, I look at it like you got a guy that's mm-hmm. a career uh, on base percentage in the minor leagues is pushing 400. Uh, that guy needs to be up near the top, uh, not anywhere near the bottom. Oh, I would generally speaking agree. I absolutely would. Um, but I also think that it doesn't really matter where anybody bats in the minor leagues because the minor leagues aren't about winning at all. Well, you're right. But the reason why I mentioned that is because there's some chance the Reds are going to make a change in manager. <laughs> and um, I fear that someone who would bet Jesse Winker seventh or who would not understand why Jesse Winker needs to be up. And I, I'm not saying that he doesn't understand. I think there's every chance that he does. And like you said, that he has uh, reasons for batting him lower. But it scares me to think that guy might be managing the Reds. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in-game stuff, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, he's very old school. Um you know, he likes to bunt and all that stuff, which, I mean, I like, I'm just not of that school. Like, I'm just not. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you. I'm completely with you on that. But it's, yeah, with that stuff. And sometimes it's hard to say, you know, I don't, there are, there are have definitely been times where we've asked him things and he's like, I, I can't talk about that. Yeah. So sometimes he is doing things because he thinks it's the best thing to do. Sometimes he's doing things because the Reds have told him to do it and have told him not to discuss it and so it's you know he's in kind of a strange position being a minor league manager where there's this sort of he has some authority but i don't think he has as much authority as people think he does yeah i think that yeah certainly that's the case i don't think there's any question about that so but anyway that's that's really sort of an aside Uh, the point is that you say that there is some chance that the 2016 reds uh are an approximation of the 2009 Reds. I think that's a little 
little bit of an imperfect comparison, Jason, but I can see where you're going with that. Chad. Chadwick. <laughs> uh oh. Chaddington. Yes, sir. I I'm sorry, did you just call me imperfect? <laughs> Hold on now. Let's get this straight. Okay, I said that maybe your your hypothesis may be a little imperfect. I don't necessarily disagree with it, but it may be a little imperfect. I didn't say you were imperfect, Jason. As we all know, you're perfect. But you're implying that something I did is imperfect. Well, I thought maybe you've got some, uh, your second level thinking. Maybe there's a reason why you did that. Uh, I can always understand where you're going with things. You're just so far above me in terms of your thinking. That's, that's better. That's more like it. I can, I can accept that. Pretty good save there. Yes, uh, yes. Well, I think it's a, in some ways maybe a, a best case scenario if, that, if, if the Reds are the 2009 Reds, which makes next year the, the 2010 Reds. But I think there are reasons to believe that we're seeing real progress in terms of this rebuild. And, and not everyone agrees with that. And I think there's very good arguments uh, about the way the Reds have conducted this rebuild, but um, it's a little hard to make, uh, in my opinion, it's hard to make those uh, very specific, uh, this rebuild's not working uh, cases while we're in the middle of it. I, I, yeah. I, I think there's reasons to believe that we're trending in the right direction, I guess, and, and uh, sort of looking at it top down, that may be the best we can hope for right now. Yeah, and you and I have, have talked about it a lot, that we both definitely have issues with, with certain players who do and don't get playing time and all of that stuff, and we'll just have to hope that that sort of comes along eventually. Um, but I, uh, I I think that we've seen the last of the awful. I'll say that, at least for a while. Yeah, I, let's not confuse the fact that we're generally sort of optimistic about the, the way the rebuild's going. Let's not confuse that with uh, us saying that we agree with everything the Reds are doing or that they have done. I don't think that's the case at all. But I think that is a very important point that you just made. I'm firmly of the belief that we this this rebuild has bottomed out. Now, they may not go to the heights that we want them to go to at the end of the rebuild. I would be very surprised indeed if they go any lower than they've already gone. I, I think we've hit the bottom of the valley on that. Yeah, I do too. I think, I think this is a team now where I think if you were to start them with a new season now and everything went wrong, they're probably like a 70-win team if everything goes wrong. Maybe an eighty-seven, eighty-eight te- win team if absolutely everything goes right, um, as opposed to you know the start of the season where everything did go wrong and they were like a fifty-five win team. That's that's a difference, right? I think if if you start it now and they have a bad season, they're just a garden variety bad team, and yeah. Not a historically bad one like we uh, like we saw at times in the first half, um, and that's something. So. Now, one of the big questions, uh, we'll move on to topic number three of the of the podcast, which is what I feel like is the biggest question facing the 2017 Reds. We've all talked about, oh, Jesse Winker, where's he, is he, are they going to bring him up? Is he going to be in there? Who's going to be our rotation? Uh, who's going to filter out into the, uh, into the uh, bullpen? What are they going to do to fix the bullpen? And who's going to be in the middle infield? We've got Phillips and Cozart there now. Is Herrera and going to be up? Is Peraza going to be up? What's going to happen? I think all those are, are questions that are going to be answered, and we'll see whether the Reds make the right decisions there. Um, I think the biggest question for next year's team, and I think it's also the biggest question in terms of answering whether or not they're going to be competitive as we as we hope. Uh, I, I use that word competitive very, very loosely. I'm not saying they're going to be World Series competitive, but at least be a, a team that's 500 or better. I think it's the the catcher position. I, I, I really do. I think that what happens with Devin Mezzarocco next year is going to really tell the tale about whether this team really can take a step forward. 
uh, and that kind of worries me a little bit uh, for reasons we can discuss. But uh, am I am I way off mark there? I think uh, no. I think that's a fair point. I mean, that's always been the when I try to be optimistic, I get to, I get to catch her, and I'm like, uh. it's because so much of it is unknown. We don't know what to expect yeah. out of Miserocco, right? Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's right. You you have no no earthly idea what you're going to get. It's completely it's 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 empty territory. It's just. Yeah. I mean, if if you want to be absolutely, uh, I call them Pete Rose colored glasses and look as optimistic at it as you want to. And in this instance, I think that's as although I try to be optimistic, I don't think this is the right way to look at it. But you could say, well, uh, Doc Krimchak and the Reds medical team say that he's going to there's no reason he shouldn't come back 100 percent healthy and be completely able to catch next year. Everything's fixed. And uh, if he does that, this guy was a uh, an all star in 2014 and uh, hit. Uh, you know, 25 home runs and uh, was one of the top 10 seasons ever for a Reds catcher. So if he comes back and he's healthy and I think he'll be 29 next year, wow, yeah. the Reds get an all-star catcher added to all these young guys around here. And if that happens, yeah, I think, uh, ooh, you know, we'll have, we'll have a party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rocco has missed pretty much all the last two years. If you are going to bet on him being the catcher, uh, don't don't bet to ranch on that because you're gonna lose you're gonna lose your home. Uh, yeah. And, and so what happens if he can't? What do they do with him? What do they do at, at catcher? I, you know, these are lots of questions that the Reds are gonna have to make uh, find answers to. Because I love Tucker Barner, love him. Uh, he's been good to Red Lake Nation. He's been on our podcast at least twice that I remember. He has just uh, uh, he's a good guy. He plays hard and he's got lots of things to like about him. I don't think he's a full-time starting catcher for a competitive, a good team. I think he's a great backup catcher, you know, plays 40% of the time, but I don't know that he's a starter. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you on that. Um, I've, I for for years, was not a Tucker Barnhart believer and, and wasn't really, like, very much like you said, like, yeah, he seems like a, a great guy and, and an excellent backup catcher. Um, I've kind of come around a little more on him this year um, through some digging that I just did on into plate appearance statistic or plate strike zone control. Their plate discipline—that's the word I wanted. It only took me seven tries. <laughs> Good work, plate Jason. Discipline um, throughout like minor league careers, and I was like, you know what? He we were maybe underrating him a little bit because he controls the strike zone well. Um, you know, I will say that he is two and a half years younger than Mezzarocco. Um, which puts him kind of in between how old Mesoraco was in 2013 when he was pretty awful and in 2014 when he was what we all wanted him to be. Um, so, you know, Tucker is still still young, still developing, I think still has a chance. I think his ceiling, you know, as he's reaching his peak is probably, I think he could be serviceable as a starter for two or three years if they had if they had to wait for, say, like, Chris uh, Oki, come along. Um, I think he could be serviceable, kind of league average uh, guy catcher. Um, he'll get on base enough to not to not embarrass you know anybody with the bat, and he's good defensively. Um, but I mean, he's he's at his absolute absolute ceiling right now. I think probably as an offensive player. Uh, you don't think he could maybe just uh, since he does control the strike zone well, maybe tick that up enough to be Ryan Hannigan? At the plate, uh, 
You know, I think uh, to me that's his absolute. That would be nice. Dream. He could get that on base percentage up to around like three fifty or so. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Or if he added just a touch more power, like right, right, just a little bit more. I mean, you know, he's somebody where I'll say this: he went from somebody where I was like, he's never going to hit enough to, oh, you know, he might hit enough, and he, that's that's a pretty big jump. And so if he could make another little bitty jump to, hey, you know. He's he's about average with the bat, which a catcher you'll take all the time. Frankly, I mean, and God love Devin Mesoraco for that season he put up. But let's be realistic: if you're league average and you play catcher, you're a good catcher. Oh yeah, yeah, without question. And I guess with Barnhart, the way I I've, I've come to look at him at came to look at him is that he went from being a guy that I thought, oh, you know what, he's good enough defensively and he can just barely do enough of the bat. He might, he's going to carve out a five or six year career in the major leagues as a, as a pretty good backup catcher, and that'd be nice. Uh, now he's I, increased in my estimation enough to where I think he's he probably got a chance to put up a 12, 13, 15 year career. I mean, he could be around for a long time because he really is good defensively. He could turn into kind of like a David Ross kind of guy. That's exactly the guy that, uh, and I didn't put him in in a piece that I wrote about him, but that's exactly the guy that I had in mind. Uh, He could stick around forever, can get on base at just enough. And and, and Ryan Hannigan's another example of that. Yeah. Uh, And and is good enough defensively because he's one of the top, uh, I think I had him top three, I think, defensive catchers by Fangraph's uh, estimation in terms of the metrics defensively. But offensively, in terms of him being a full-time catcher, and when you say full-time catcher, you're talking 60 65%, maybe 70% of the games. Yeah. If, if you're lucky. You're not really talking about 162 games. But he was handed the starting spot this year, and we're all raving about the season he's had. And he's been a good, you know, I, I'm happy with what he's provided. He's just 22nd among all big league catchers and wins above replacement. Uh, mm-hmm. Among catchers with at least 100 plate appearances, he's 29th in WRC+. Plus. 27th in WOBA, a couple of those crazy Fangraphs stats. Um, let's not pretend like he's been, you know, a, a superstar behind the plate. And that's what worries me about if Mesoraco can't do it. I, I'm not sure Barnhart, even for just two or three years, is, is a catcher. Man, he's a guy that I love to have as a backup catcher. And I, I would love if he played for the Reds for the next 15 years as a backup catcher. Maybe not 15, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I don't think he can handle it, and which which means that, in my opinion, if Mesoraco can't do it, the Reds have a huge hole at catcher with no one to fill it until Chris Oakey comes around. And uh, yeah, I, I would t- I would tend to agree with that. I, the the one thing I would say though is I think that one of the unique things about the Reds franchise history is how many of the great players have been kind of up the middle players. So you look at the history at, you know, you've got bench at catcher, you've got Larkin and Concepcion at short, you've got Morgan at second. And those are not places where most people think offense, but yet the Reds have had some really outstanding offensive players. Historically, they're some of the best in the history of the game in some cases, the best in the history of the game. And so I wonder if that kind of distorts things. Cause I mean, while I agree, you don't want Tucker Barnhart long term, Almost every, um, almost every even really good team has that one position where you're like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's that that one guy where it's like, eh, yeah, okay, he he does his job, um, but he's kind of you know different than everybody else. I mean, even uh, I might I might get attacked for this, but even you know, even the big red machine had uh, Cesar Geronimo, who was a fine player. Oh my but, goodness! You are you really attacking Cesar Geronimo on my podcast? I I'm not. I'm just saying that he wasn't <laughs> nearly on the same level as everyone else on that team. Right? Yeah. And, 
Actually, that's sort of an interesting comparison because he's a, he was a defense first guy um, who ended up getting on base just enough to where he was a value, yeah. somewhat valuable player. Yeah. But if the, you know, if the Reds, and I'm imagining in my head, you know, you got Votto, you got some combination of Suarez, Peraza, Herrera in the middle. You got Senzel at third. You got Hamilton in center. You got Winker in right. You got somebody else in left who who hits. That's I mean that lineup I think will will hit enough that you can cover for somebody at catcher. Well, maybe, maybe I'm looking at it and comparing. And I mean, I'm very much in rose colored glasses right now. I, I just am. <laughs> right. I can tell, and I will freely admit it. But and, and I'll concede that maybe I'm looking at Barnhart and comparing him to what I see as. Uh, the the my best hope, which is that Mesoraco comes back, and and Mesoraco's not going to hit like he did in 2014. I don't think we'll ever see that again. But you, a catcher that can be a legitimate above average, even if just slightly above average hitter, that can handle the position defensively. And I think, oh man, can imagine what that can do for your lineup. And maybe I'm expecting, maybe I'm asking too much of Tucker Barnhart to do that because he is. I think I think there's a good argument to make. He's one of the better defensive catchers in the league, and he should only get better at that. You would think. Uh, maybe he could be. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, his ceiling, I think is a two wins above replacement player. I mean, I, I'm not, I like, I'm not, I'm not on the like Tucker Barnhart's and all-star train at all. And, you know, I think if you look at his ceiling versus Mesoraco's ceiling, even now, Mesoraco, you got to give him a shot. If he comes back and he can OPS 800, 820, like that's a fantastic asset. Uh, it is. Yes. I think that's, I think that's right. Um, you know, in terms of what the Reds have in the minor league system, we should probably at least just mention, you have uh, briefly mentioned Chris Oakey. The Reds took in the second round uh, this year, first pick of the second round, I think 43rd overall. Uh, last year, in, their, in the first round, they took Tyler Stevenson. He was a high school catcher out of Georgia. That was the 11th overall pick. So they've taken catchers uh, very high in the draft the last two years. And Stevenson had a terrible injury field season this year. I, we don't know what we have with him. He's just, yeah. I, think, I think he's 19. I think he just turned 20 last week, actually. I looked it up. And so yeah, he's, Oki's, Oki's like a year and a half older than him. Right. And, and, and Oki, we talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago, I think Nick Senzel coming out of a college program, uh, a, you know, high division one program. Chris Oki went to Clemson. So he played mm-hmm. the Atlantic Coast Conference. You know who else is in the Atlantic Coast Conference, Jason? Um, no, but you do. Come on, man. You got to say it. Is it, what is it? It's, uh, oh my gosh. Who is it? Duke, right? Oh, oh God. All right. Podcast over. This is la- Jason Linden's last appearance on the Red Lake Nation Radio podcast. The University of Virginia Cavaliers, 2014 national champions in baseball. Anyway, I have to mention that every time. I'm sorry. I have a, a real problem. Um, Chris Oakey went to Clemson, and so out of a pretty good uh, college conference, the ACC, and and uh, and so you would hope he's not as close as Sinzel to the majors. I think Sinzel could come to the be, could be a starter in the majors next year at some point. Uh, but Oakey, you know, maybe in a couple years. So maybe Barnhart, if he has to be the catcher, maybe Barnhart for a couple years, and then Oakey's ready if things go well with him. And we don't know yet. He's he's hit uh, uh, he's hit fairly well in his first uh, professional year plate he's yeah you know he's doing fine yeah um i mean senzel i think everybody thinks that now like even people who are who have no affiliation with the reds and are pretty much paid to be skeptical are like yeah nick senzel <laughs> he's he's going to be ready next year yeah i've already mentioned the same sentence with uh chris bryant at least twice and that blows yeah. my mind uh he's not gonna be that good probably but still that's that blows my mind yeah just to even get the comparison right yeah 
but with with Oki, yeah, I mean, he looks looks to me just just kind of staring at his numbers like he's he is hitting really well. I mean, you know, uh, a one thirty four W runs created plus in 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 eight ball. That's that's good. Um, but he's he's probably striking out a little more than you want him to. Um, is really what it comes down to. But and he's still he's still in class A. Yeah, so he's twenty one. He's an A ball, and it's his first go round in professional baseball. So you know, he's certainly uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on. And then there's that. You know, speaking of, of sort of new players, just briefly, that uh, AJ Friedel. That I mean, I think the Reds are going to basically won the draft when they yeah. when they got a hold of Friedel. TJ, but not AJ Friedel. TJ, TJ yes. sorry. Um, TJ Friedel. Um, what a what a great what a great yeah, who's that was a also well in rookie league so yeah this is the guy that wasn't drafted uh, because people seem to not realize including him himself he didn't realize he was draft eligible and so the Reds well he was told he wasn't draft eligible right. yeah and then somebody and everybody else was too and then somebody at the Reds went and did their homework and found out that he was and they were like hey you want a contract and he was like sure and and as it turned out the Reds had the most money available uh, after mm-hmm. the draft to offer him anyway and so. Um, and he's he has he's he's this is a kid from uh, I think Nevada, and uh, just the last two years he was a walk on at Nevada, and the last two years has just really blown everyone away. Made the U.S. team, and has he's hit the ground running, hasn't he? What a what a fun story that is. We're gonna definitely follow that. But um, yeah, you know, um, and with Sinzel and Oki and, and that guy, you're right. This year's looking awfully good the way they drafted, and and that's what they did. Before that 2010 team, if you look, a lot of those guys were came out of the draft, came up through the system. Yep. You know, it's another way to compare them to that uh, to that team. And t- you know, we don't want to forget Tyler Stevenson. He was a number one pick uh, last year, eleventh yeah. overall. Tyler Stevenson still lots of potential. He's just still so raw. Yeah, I mean, he's he's three four years away at the at the, but he's that Devin Mesoraco was a high school catcher, and Devin Mesoraco struggled early. Um, yep. And Devin Mesoraco became an all star. So. I don't want to forget Stevenson, but it looks like Oki's probably closest to the big leagues, and it looks like there's some potential there. You've you've kind of talked me into maybe being able to squint and believe that Barnhart can can hold down the position. I don't know, maybe for a year or two. I think he'll be okay. I think I'd rather them do that than try to like go sign somebody. Right, right. What if they, what if they could get Yadier Molina? Would you take him? <sighs> I know it's your podcast, Chad. <laughs> You no. Off now. <laughs> no, it's it's our podcast. Listen, uh, uh, one last question on this topic, which is the one that I think is kind of the most interesting. Let's say that Mezzarocco cannot handle the rigors of catching every day. What in the world do you do with Devin Mezzarocco, who has a bat that you kind of need in the lineup? I don't know. Do you see if an American League team needs a DH? I'm afraid. I'm, yeah, I'm afraid that's really the only other option. I mean, because we've we've done the outfield experiment, right? And that didn't really work out. He tried it in Louisville last year. It was a sh- very brief one. He was still hurt. So I, I mean, yeah, he, that would be the only spot. I mean, left field or right field, that'd be it. Because he's not playing third. He's not playing first. Can like, he? Can he play center field like former catcher Dale Murphy did? I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> can he play second base like former catcher Craig Biggio did back in the day? Also going to go with no. Yeah, I'm not even sure he can play left field or right field. I really just, yeah. uh, you know, he doesn't, not that he's unathletic, but he just doesn't scream major league outfielder to me. Yeah, I mean, if he could work on it, and he's clearly somebody who, as you just pointed out, has made progress in the past, then maybe. But if he can't catch, it's it's he's either left field, right field, or he's a very expensive pinch hitter. Uh, you know, maybe if he is, oh gosh, I don't even want to think about him just being a bench player the way his bat is, but... 
one way that, I, again, I, I try to talk myself into seeing him as an outfielder is that he will have comic book superhero Billy Hamilton playing next to him. And Billy covers a lot of ground. Mm-hmm. So maybe his uh, Miserago's impact, uh, negative impact in the outfield would be lessened by the fact that Billy can just go get everything. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but that's why I say it's the biggest question facing the Reds is what happens with Miserago. And if he can catch good, if he can't, what do they do? Uh, I, well, you wait. If he can't, you wait. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so that's going to be the, the number one thing I'm going to be looking at during spring training next year. All right. Any, any other thoughts on that topic, uh, Jason Linden? No, I don't think so. I think we've got, we've covered that. All right. We've kind of beaten everything to death here on this one. One last thing I wanted to talk about, which is that uh, next weekend, September 3rd, uh, Labor Day weekend, Saturday night, we're having our first Red Leg Nation Red Reporter uh, meetup at the, at the Reds game. And uh, this is something we we did a few years back. We had a Red Leg Nation meetup, and it's something I had intended to do every year, and then I kind of got busy with life and uh, didn't do it anymore. But this year I started talking with uh, with Brandon over at Red Reporter, and if you don't go to redreporter.com, you really should. Uh, they do a great job over there. And we thought, hey, let's do a joint uh, meetup, and we'll uh, get, our, get our crowds together, our readers and our writers, and just uh, have a good time watching the Reds. So we started to plan it, and boom. September 3rd, it's uh, it's scheduled now for uh, Great American Ballpark. I think we're going to be in Section 143. If you're there, come see us. Um, and Jason Linden is going to be there. I am. And if you're nice, I'll talk to you. Oh, well, I'm not going to count on that. No, I'll talk to everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, but what's interesting is the Reds have been uh, sort of receptive, and, and, and we've uh, now, Red Lake Nation has reserved a room uh, there, and it's next to the press box in uh, at Great American Ballpark. And and a couple of the Reds' assistant general managers, uh, Sam Grossman, Nick Crawl, are going to come speak with us and do a Q&A, and we can ask them all kinds of dumb questions. And I'm, I'm good at dumb questions, so be happy to ask plenty of those. Actually, I'm better at dumb answers, I think we decided earlier today. I'm going to let you ask the dumb questions. Um, but it should be a fun time, right? Yeah, it should be a good time. We should all have fun. Yeah, and if you uh, if you can't make it to this year's, because we did sort of plan this on the fly, I'm going to expect every one of you out uh, to next year's event, because we're already literally, even though we've not done this year's meetup, we're already in the planning stages for next year, and we're going to make it a huge blowout. It's going to be fantastic. So, look, uh, if you follow us on uh, at RedLegNation.com and on Twitter at RedLegNation, uh, at RedLegNation on Instagram and and uh, and Snapchat, we're going to have all kinds of coverage of the uh, of the meetup. Should be should be a good time. And Jason. We finally get to sit down and talk about how, why uh, you are imperfect. Well, now I'm not going. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well, I'll have to find somebody else to talk to. Jason, appreciate you joining me, buddy. You too, Chad. All right. But, uh, you know, again, I, I told you our, all of our other handles everywhere else. I'll tell you, Jason is at Jason Linden, Jason, L-I-N-D-E-N on Twitter. Follow him. He's a great follower. If for nothing else other than uh, mornings, uh, Coffee with Vado. We do enjoy Joey Votto and a cup of coffee. Oh, man, it's the best way to start your day, isn't it? Uh, um, You can follow me at Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C, at Red Leg Nation on Twitter. And, of course, go to RedLegNation.com every day. We're following the Reds and have been writing about the Reds, news, analysis, conversation. It's a place for all of us Reds fans to sort of get together and commiserate uh, every single day uh, since 2005, which blows my mind. I'll also ask you to go to iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating, and, and if you haven't already, subscribe to us uh, at iTunes or whatever podcast device you use. But if, it does help us if you leave a review for us if you have something good to say at uh, iTunes. 
Um, I've already said uh, I appreciate you joining me, Jason. I'm going to say it again because I always have a good time talking to you, man. I, I also enjoy talking to you, Chad. Oh, wow. The first person ever that said they enjoyed talking to me. So I'm going to go and <laughs> I'll go to sleep happy tonight. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.